So moving on into the 80s, the mid-80s, you followed up with Positive Power in 84 and uh, really dug uh, 15 rounds. That was a sweet uh, slab of funk there. And, you know, we touched a little bit on it um, just a moment ago, um, but your strength in ballads is something that maybe you don't get enough credit for. And um, that album had Mellow's a cello, Sugar Mama Baby. Uh, what went into getting that record done? Well, you know, again, I was evolving and changing, and I was wanting to try new things. I tell people, they said, Steve, you've done so many things. I said, yeah, I, I think like a jazz musician. And what that means is I like to, if, if I was an artist that judged what I did by record sales or hit records, I would not be the artist that I am today, meaning a person who now through the years, younger people's like come to me and say, yo man, the fact that you did this, 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 and this, the fact that you did, um, you know, an album that followed up behind your first uh, solo album and it sounded kind of different. It, it, it didn't just go over the formula of Weak in the Knees. You got more off in the ballads and more into like these different colors. I'm not exactly sure where that's even coming from. Sometimes, and this record for me was a transition record, meaning sometimes you completely have formulated where you're going, and by the time that you put that record out, all that's been worked out, and then people hear the product and go, wow, okay, you, wow, okay, I get it. You went to another place and it's as powerful as where you just left which is what happened between the last Slave album and Hall of Fame 1. The, the working it out where I was wanting to go happened and was fully crystallized by the time I put that first album out. Now, the time between the first album and the second album wasn't quite as solid for me as into me going where I wanted to and having all the tools under control. That's the word I want to use. Control. I didn't have it all under control just yet. But the ballads, I knew I wanted to really get more off into that. Um, and those songs, I believe, really stood well. Um, but that was a transition record for me. Um, you mentioned something, 15 rounds, you know, different, you know, starting again more into funk that is, um, not as um, organic in terms of having a whole band playing. We have the band playing, but we're using more synthy sounds, using more uh, you know uh, triggers for the drums, and we're getting more into that sort of thing on that album. Um, but I'm very much proud of um, the balance, and I'm proud of the just the fact that I just opened up and just went somewhere. Sugar Mama Baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mellow is a cello with the with the opening, with the classical opening. Like those things are exciting for me because uh, again, I think like a jazz musician, so I I, I do things um, to take people somewhere, to take myself somewhere. And like I said, and and something Miles Davis used to say, you know, people like, well, you know, I dig that. It's not. He's like, yeah, well, you know, I'm in transition. 
when I get there, you'll hear it. <laughs> yeah, the transition was, was definitely evident, especially also with the next album, which was Dancing uh, in the Key of Life, which I assume was inspired by the Stevie Wonder uh, album and title. But um, it was certainly a joyousness you could feel, you know, coming through your music and, you know, it signified changes that were going on in your spiritual journey. Um, selfishly, though, I got to tell you, you know, as a, as a funketeer, I was a little disappointed because I felt like I was losing one of my, you know, main providers of my funk fix. Mm. Um, but if you could talk about, you know, the change you went through then, and of course you, you, you know, produced uh, some records sporadically after that, some more um, secular, some were not. Um, talk about that transformation you kind of had, Steve. Well, I come from a family of preachers. It's in my bloodline, pastors. Um, so I grew up in the church. Um, and it's always been a part of where I come from. God gave her beauty, she carries it well in watching you. Um, and I could just go on with lines throughout what I do and have done through the years. Um, 82, 83, 84, I was starting to change again, um, meaning that my spirituality was starting to need, there was a need in me to bring that into the forefront um, and play a stronger role in how I looked at music and how I wanted my music to sound. That being said, Dancing in the Key of Life certainly was, you know, Stevie uh, Wonders, uh, Songs in the Key of Life. Um, so Dancing in the Key of Life was my way of, of looking at uh, dance music. Um, and that, that title was just perfect on how I looked at dance music. Uh, the tempo started to change, much faster tempos. Um, but see, remember I said to you earlier, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of different things. Like I grew up listening to uh, James Taylor. And people say, oh, well, big influence on me. Well, I don't hear James Taylor in your style. It's like, well, no, it's not. It's the sincerity in the voice. That's the thing. And so I needed to be able to get that funk side off on me, going to jam, you know, we're just grooving. And then I needed to say things differently in a way that uh, were more melodic and less um, driven by the bottom. But if you listen to Dancing in the Key of Life, the bass line is still, it's still grimy. It's just not set up. The mix isn't set up the way it would have had I did that song two or three years earlier. That being said, those songs opened me up internationally. Feel So Real was a huge hit across the world, Dancing in the Key as well. Um, so I was able to reach uh, more uh, array of people, still keep my funk, but that's not where the laser was at that time. It was more on dance music. It was more on developing my melodic side. And that's kind of the thing with me. There's people say, yo, man, the slave, the slave antigen, that's what I'm messing with. Or it's like, nah, man, it's the weak in the knees antigen. It's the, 
you know, it's the it's the way out, man. That's that craziness. And then there's others that say, you know what, nah, it's the feel so real dancing in the key of life. That's what I'm feeling. My thing is this. If I'm doing what's in my heart, and if I'm doing what I truly love and I'm staying honest to where I am, then that's what's cool for me. I understand different people will like different styles. Like you, you're never gonna get some people to dig the bitches blue style with Miles who are in the kind of blue. Or they, you know, the giant step style of John Coltrane, and then he goes into ascensions, meditate. I mean, you know, and Love Supreme. There's people who like mourn the fact that he went into more free jazz direction versus staying. Uh, with the uh, the styles of that he had done earlier, but he continued to evolve, following his heart. Well, that's easier to accept in a lot of ways from jazz musicians. I just happen to have that same perspective as R&B, funk, soul, whatever you want to call it. I'm kind of a little bit of everything, you know. I, that's what I dug about Prince so much. Mm-hmm. Prince did what he wanted to do, and you know. He didn't let his last hit record stop him from doing where he was the next day. Um, And I'm cut from that kind of cloth. Um, So, yeah, I understand there's caps. I can tell you an example, for instance. I loved, yes, I loved the drummer as well, Bill Bruford. Bill Bruford leaves the band. They do the Tales of Tropographic Oceans album after they had done the tremendous album that I dug with Bruford's last time on drums, close to the edge. Killer record, ridiculous. They come back with topographic oceans. They have Alan White on drums. Bill Bruford's style was so unique, it changed the style of the band. It changed things. And Man, I miss Bruford. I'm down with topographic oceans. By the time they got to Relayer, though, they had, they had got it together. The new way they were gonna formulate things. Relay, Relayer was killer. Bottom line is, though, I understand when people feel emotional about this particular time in your career where you touch them the most. I get it. I understand it. I just don't let it stop me from doing what I want to do. Fair enough. Really good to hear that perspective, that side of it, too, you know, because... Uh, yeah, fans will act like, you know, they've been personally betrayed or something when somebody changes. And so many of the greatest artists, you know, you mentioned Prince, but also like Herbie Hancock and all the stuff he's gotten into and George Clinton. I mean, some of the many of the greatest artists we have are those that have gone off in, you know, this direction, that direction and said the heck with, you know, who's coming along for the ride. They're doing it for, for their heart. So I totally respect and get that. Um. You know, so a little more recent times into this century, a few years ago, uh, you know, Mark Adams and Mark Hicks, they both, you know, left us uh, within the same year, I think it was. It was pretty devastating in their young 50s unexpectedly. Um, You know, how did that hit you? And if I'm not mistaken, time-wise, I think it's sort of uh, around the same period of time that you kind of started coming back to popular music. Is there any relationship or just a coincidence? Well, yes, I was starting to come back into popular music and we were talking, as a matter of fact, two days before Mark Adams passed, he called me on the phone 
we had been talking in prior weeks about doing some music together again. And he played for me. He says, this is what I'm working with, Angton. And he had a drum machine, and he was playing this crazy bass line. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. he says, I'm going to call you in two days on your birthday and wish you a happy birthday. That was March 5th. Now, I didn't call him back that night because he said he was going to call me for my birthday, and then I was going to tell him how crazy that bass line was that he played for me and left on uh, you know, my voicemail, right? It's crazy. It's like killing and I'm so March 5th comes around and I see it's his number and I'm about to tell him, yo, man, that was sick. That baseline you played for me, bro. And it was his girlfriend telling me that he was dead. He had been killed on my birthday. Wow. And it was like, wait a minute, what? He had been murdered. So every time I have my birthday, I also think about the passing of the great Mark Adams. Um, in which we were talking about getting back together and doing music together, and, and he was gone on my birthday. So, but we had talked and gotten back together conceptually, what we'd like to do some new music together and so on and so forth. So before he passed, you know, we, we were at a cool place in terms of what the future could possibly look like. Um, Mark Hicks, um, he had been out doing uh, Slave when you know he had his own units as Slave. For the longest time, he was the only one out there representing the group. You know, I was off the scene completely, and uh, I'd come back to the scene and not as Slave, but as Steve Arrington and Mark Hicks was doing his thing. Um, it was just two months later. Mark Hicks is gone, just out of the blue. Um, you know, these are people that we grew up together, you know, 15, 14 years old, you know, um, and they're gone so young. Um, and, you know, we were talking about getting back together and then, you know, they're gone. And it just let me understand, you know, just how fleeting this thing called life is. And you, you need to let people know you love them and you care about them. And, you know, let people know, give them their respect while they're here. Don't wait till they're gone. Show people love while they're here. I'm just glad that my brothers and I were at a cool place where we were just excited about, you know, the, the concept of perhaps doing music together again. That being said, them as individuals, so unique, there'll never be another Mark Adams or Mark Hicks. They're totally, totally unique cats. Um, and I'm just happy to have shared this journey called life with them for the time they've had here and what they've done for me in my life and, and been such a blessing to me in so many ways. I'm glad that I uh, was able to make records, be friends, study, um, be on tour, uh, share tough times together, share, share hurts and pains together, triumphs. I honor the time that we spent together and I honor them until God takes me home and it's my time to go. 
So around 2009, I think it was, you, you returned to uh, making some uh, contemporary music and um, you uh, collaborated with uh, Dan Funk. Um, how, how did, why did you come back? What inspired you? And how did you make that connection? Well, prior to collaborating with Dan Funk, I did an album um, prior to that, Pure Thing. Um, and what happened was, uh, I put that out there, Dame Funk, Peanut Butter Wolf from um, Stone's Throw Records, the CEO of and founder of Stone's Throw Records. Both of those guys, I was uh, a big influence on them coming up, and they were asking me what I'd do a 12-inch with Dame Funk. They had heard a loop that I had on my website at the time called The Invade Has Arrived. And then also they had heard Pure Thing. And they were like, yo, man, you still bringing heat, man. Can we do a 12 inch together? And I'm like, okay, let me check out who Dame is and listen to the music. I say, yeah, okay, you some young cat getting a funk on. Okay, yeah, I wanna, I wanna be helpful in that. Um, and so we did a 12 inch. Peanut Butter Wolf loved the 12-inch. He says, yo, can we do like a three-song EP? I'm like, okay, I'm digging it. Let's do a three-song EP. Oh, man, this is crazy. Can we turn this into six? Can we turn it into nine? Yo, man, can we just do an album together and release it on Stone's Throw? Can we do that? And I'm like, yeah, let's get it. Uh, it's called Higher. Um, I really enjoy making that record. Um, and, you know, meeting cats like Dame and younger cats coming up who are wanting to continue to funk and keep that music going. Um, and so that's why I, I did that uh, collaboration. Um, I think it was a, a great uh, underground record. And I say underground because it wasn't conceived to be a watching you or, or to be... Um, just a touch of love or slide. This was to hit another type of audience where things are far more compartmentalized in terms of audiences now. You have all these different concepts going on, like this underground funk movement, experimental movement, and there's that jam band, funk jam band scene movement. Um, there's all these different things going on now you know, there's the DJ scene in which they, you know, you got DJs who, who they're funk DJs and, you know, I get calls in to do special appearances and special guests and so on and so forth. Um, and so I, I started really getting into the underground scene prior to uh, Peanut Butter Wolf and Dame Funk approaching me about his, uh, doing a, a collab with him. I, because this continues to do what I had done earlier you know, I was, okay, let's say it this way. Just put out Just a Touch of Love. But on the bus, I'm listening to Cecil Taylor, who was an avant-garde artist, or, you know, free jazz, Chicago art ensemble. You know, everybody else, we're listening to, we're listening to, let's say, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. On the, yeah, I'm listening to Earth, Wind. But also, man, I'm into some Hank Williams Sr., so, you know, uh, my whole thing was to always continue to reach in different spots. And I started listening to underground uh, funk and underground uh, hip hop 
you know, I started listening to Roz G, uh, Hudson Mohawk. These guys who are underground artists, they're not big in terms of radio artists, but they're doing really unique things. So I connected with Stone's Throat, found out that Jay Dilla had connected with Stone's Throat and did his last album, Donuts with Stone's Throat, Mad Lib, people that I respect on the underground scene who are doing unique things. Of course, now, Flying Lotus and people like that, connecting with George, connecting with Kendrick Lamar, and now the underground, uh, Janelle Monet comes from the underground scene. Uh, actually, even Will I Am comes from that scene, more from a dance sort of underground point of view. That being said, I'm always listening and have my ears open for fresh and interesting perspectives, and that led to the collaboration with Dane Funk and the record uh, with um, Stone's Throw, and I look to continue to do some things. Uh, Kareem Riggins, we're talking now about doing some things, perhaps on Stone's Throw. Also, you know, I'm always doing some interesting, I did a collab with uh, Christian Rich, who were, uh, they were discovered by Pharrell. They're doing some really interesting work. So yeah, I like to keep that cutting edge underground thing as part of my world too, uh, to keep me edgy and keep me pushing my gift forward. So are you performing at all? Do you plan to perform at all? If you do perform, where does the, you know, uh, slave and, and, and seabaring console material fit into that picture? Well, yes, I've been touring again. I have my unit. My band's from Chicago. And why Chicago, man? Because I'm showing my roots from that electric blues, Muddy and Hound Dog and, and, and Wolf. Uh, Coco, uh, I'm showing that honor and respect, buddy, buddy guy. And my parents, uh, you know, I was actually born in Chicago. Um, and so it's it's also honor to that as well. I totally loved that Chicago blues when 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 we talked about that Piedmont, we talked about that uh, that 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 grimy, uh, dirty blues that comes out of Mississippi. It was electrified in Chicago. I'm about that funk. I'm also about that grimy, I'm going to Chicago. <laughs> and uh, that's where my band is from. And we're been, we've been together now for seven years. And uh, we tour all over the place. We just, uh, we're gonna be playing Idlewild uh, Festival again in, in Michigan this year. And Idlewild was such a important place for black entertainment and black um, mind period in back in the day where idle where you know blacks weren't allowed to go to some of these other resort places and they had their own spot idlewild uh michigan where you would see langston hughes and and uh sammy davis and lady day and um you know our great minds and talents would come there as a resort to kick it and so to be a part of that uh legacy and that history uh we played idlewild in 2016 we'll play it again this year in august um I'll be, I've done uh, Tokyo, Billboard Live in Tokyo. Um, we've done uh, shows over in Europe. Uh, I'll be heading back over to Europe, uh, to London uh, in June. And so I'm just going all over, man, spreading this funk and my perspective on um, the different array, arrays of how all this stuff comes together. I do everything from, you know, 
just to touch on up. And I give them new perspectives on it. Um, I'm having such a good timeline because for a while I never played the music. So to get all that back in the mix with me again and, and my history um, and then present how I'm looking at things now musically with a band who has the uh, the gifting to be able to go in the different directions. Cause like we might be funking in the middle of some funk. I might hit us into Pinocchio, Wayne Short of Pinocchio. I'm in and what's that? And then back to that dirt cheap funk. I mean, I'm just, you know, at this point I'm, I'm 61. And I'm loving being able to do what I, I respect and appreciate what it takes to have a long career as a musician. And I love and appreciate being a musician and to be an artist, producer, to play with people that inspire me and that I inspire in the traditions of Thelonious Monk, John Coltrane, Miles Davis, Charlie Parker, and then also in the tradition of James Brown, Isley Brothers, you know, that whole thing, and you know, and, and Jimi Hendrix. So I'm looking at it as a cultural phenomenon at the same time of continuing to bring this music to the people, introduce it to younger people, and continue to uh, give it to those who came up with the music, with uh, generation-wise, and older to younger, uh, just got a, I got a, a text uh, on Instagram the other day with this 14-year-old kid who heard way out 8084. And he's like, man, my joint is without your love. And he said, I'm a 14-year-old kid from France. And I'm like, that's dope, man. That's dope. At the end of the day, this is about passing this culture on. Um, and my honor is that God made me a musician. It's not the easiest life in the world by no stretch of the imagination, but it's the only life for me. Well said, Steve. Um, so if people want to uh, connect with you, find out more uh, about where you're going to be playing that sort of thing, where should they go? Well, they can hit me up on my uh, Facebook page, <clears throat> my band page, Steve Arrington Music, my Facebook profile page, hit me up. Twitter, Steve, Steve underscore Arrington, um, Instagram. Um, so I'm in pretty much all the social media platforms and I do all my socials. I don't have somebody dedicated to it. I do it myself and you know, Hey man, you can find out where I'm hitting. We'll be doing a lot of shows, uh, through the uh, spring and summer and fall heading into next year. Also working on a new album been in the studio back and forth on that. So you can be looking at some new music and I've done some cool collabs. I've done some new work with George Clinton. I'm really excited about that on his upcoming joint. Uh, so I've done some tracks with him. Uh, so yeah, man, you know, I'm working with younger uh, artists, producers to, still doing that as well. And then I'm working with the people of my generation and those who have been such an um, important figure in, in my life, like George Clinton. Um, and we're out here hitting, and uh, man, I'm having a wonderful time. I, 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 I'm, a, I'm having an extremely good time playing music, writing, and you know, and all of that, and growing, and and I hope to do that um, like the great uh, um, 
buddy guy who's in his 80s killing it you know that's that's my hero that's that's what i want to end up like the great buddy guy in his 80s just like bringing heat george clinton 76 bringing heat that's the way i want to do on behalf of funk and just music fans everywhere thank you uh, and, you know, thank you for doing what you do and for also coming back and bringing so much more of it to everybody. Um, you know, and, and with that, it's time to wrap up this edition of Truth and Rhythm. Huge thanks, uh, Steve, special guest. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us today. It's been a great ride. Fascinating stuff. Thank you, Scott. Nothing but love. Nothing but love for the people out there. Nothing but love for this great, funky great music of ours. Uh, it's great to be a part of the music family. And I mean that sincerely. Big ups. Nothing but love. I want to remind viewers, be sure to look out for upcoming Truth and Rhythm episodes and catch up with previous installments at funkinstuff.net on YouTube, iTunes, and other leading podcast providers. Until next time, on behalf of Steve Arrington, The Invade. No doubt. And myself, uh, Scott Goldfine, saying, as always, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one. Indeed, of the one.